perfect. Now, I'm going to have you do one more thing uh, before I dive into the content. On your handout, you have a handout that says the truth about leaving a legacy at the top. It's got a little purple border. And I know some of you picked up your stuff over there from the sponsor tables or education partner tables, so you get them mixed up. But this one should have, uh, at the top, it should have a Senior Living Truth Series logo and some lines below that that say people who left a positive legacy. People who left a positive legacy. I want you to write down three people that come to your mind immediately that left a positive legacy in your life. In other words, you admire, appreciate, uh, respect them, or have fond memories of them, however you want to quantify that. And it can be someone you knew or didn't know, living or dead, three people. And then to the right of that, there are three more lines. Now go ahead and write down three people that you knew or didn't know, living or dead, that left a, what you would consider, negative legacy. Somebody that you go, you know what, that's the person I don't want to be, thank you very much. Write those three names down. And this is just for you. Did anybody have any trouble, by show of hands, did you have any trouble finding a person in your life that had a positive legacy? Anybody? No. Everybody knows somebody who left a positive legacy, right? Even, even if they don't know them personally, they can think of someone, right? Anybody have any trouble finding somebody to go on the right side for negative legacy? A few of you. Yeah, isn't that interesting, right? Or think about the psychology behind that. Most of us are able to reframe our experience with people, even if it was not positive. To say, you know what, even though that person didn't really leave what I would consider a positive mark on my life, I became a better person as a result. Could you all agree with that? Doesn't that come with maturity, though, <coughs> in many cases? Um, I think we all learned from what happened with the Holocaust, yeah? I don't think any of us would put Hitler on the positive side of the legacy spectrum, would you? I hope not. I wouldn't. I, maybe. I don't think you would. And at the end of the day, we all learn something from that. So who do we put on the right side? Who do we put on the left side? I don't know. But it's going to be different for everyone in this room, right? And so hopefully you were able to complete those three lines on both sides because we're going to be talking today about your legacy, our legacy collectively and individually. And I think it's important sometimes to start out with what is a legacy to begin with and why is it important. So I, I got asked, I was asked by a few people, Nikki, why are you doing this topic? This topic has absolutely nothing to do with real estate, with downsizing, with senior living. <laughs> and you're right, it doesn't. But one thing, uh, I, have a, I have kind of a funny characteristic, and that is I like to master things. I like to figure things out. Anybody else like that? You have to figure stuff out? And let me say, 10 or 15 years ago, we've been doing this a long time now, we figured real estate out. It's easy. We can do that in our sleep. Shannon can do a contract and have it negotiated and knock it out. We can do that 75 times a year just like that. Easy peasy. Move management, we're learning. It's not as easy. Your stuff is a little more complex than your house. And we got that pretty well figured out. We do that 50, 60, 75 times a year. So I've moved on to my new favorite subject called life and death. I'm going to figure that out. 
you're supposed to laugh. That was funny, right? Because that's, people have been trying to figure out that for years, right? Decades, centuries, right? Millennials, so millenniums. So this is a tough topic. This isn't, nobody has this figured out. Not even Dave Ramsey, uh, not, not even, uh, who's, my, who's my guy, Warren? Rick Warren, right? I don't know any creature that has this figured out. We're all still kind of grappling with this issue of legacy. Can we agree? Okay. So I don't have the answers today, but I have lots of really great questions. And my hope is that as we unpack this topic, um, you'll leave here with hopefully some action steps to take so that if you didn't write I'm prepared on your little piece of paper, you will be better prepared. If you wrote I am prepared, um, you'll help other people prepare. And prepare for what? Um, you know, I, have, I told you guys, I think it was last month, I mentioned that I'm dealing with some personal family stuff where we've got a family member who's uh, on hospice right now. Uh, my uncle, he's 76, he's uh, got late stage prostate cancer. It's not a good thing for anybody to have to go through and here we're going through it. And many of you have gone through these things in your own life with people that you know and care about. And it's interesting how Someone can be as close to the end of their life as he is and not still not be willing to admit that we die. Isn't that interesting? Does anybody know anybody like that? You know, uh, I think I think we we have this thing called denial, and it's a human characteristic that uh, no other animal that I know of possesses. That we just for some reason think that we should be immortal, right? And I was uh, having this conversation with Chris the other day. I was driving through my little neighborhood. We have one street and one street out. It's got a beautiful uh, tree-lined sidewalks, big, big, grown, mature trees. And some of them had ribbons around them tied. I said, Chris, what's going on? And he said, oh, they're having to take out some trees. And I went, oh, no, why? He said, well, they're diseased. And I looked up at them, and sure enough, the leaves didn't look right. You know, they were turning, but not like the other ones. They weren't pretty, right? They were, they were really in bad shape. And I said, oh, man, I hate that. And I thought, you know what? Everything does. Everything goes away in time, yes? And we go to church, and the preachers talk about it. We go, you know, to different things, and people talk about it. But nobody really talks about it in terms of how do we want that to look for us personally, right? Has anybody been to a funeral lately? Yeah, I bet most everybody's been to one in the last year at least. Have you been to a funeral that you really thought was really good and well done? And have you been to one that you thought, are you kidding me? Did the person even know the deceased, right? We've all been to those, both kinds, right? And the difference between a funeral or a memorial service that I walk away from feeling filled up and inspired and, and even though there's grieving, there's, a, there's this sense of hope and possibility and inspiration, it's usually because the person that they talked about had left a legacy of some sort for the people in that room, whether they knew it or not. And the ones that I go to feeling a little disappointed and saddened really are the ones where I go, that person probably left an amazing legacy and nobody knows what it is. Nobody knows what it is. 
Does that make sense? Because we all leave a legacy. All right, so let's talk about this. Ready? So let's define legacy. This is where you get to help me out. So raise your hand and I'll call on a few people. What is a legacy? What is it? What is a legacy? Who can tell me? Yes, ma'am. Not one thing. Yes, I think it can be the way you lived your life. I think it can be uh, how you influence other people. The way you lived your life, the way you influenced other people. Uh, it could be money. Could be money. Beautiful. But um, okay, hold that thought. Let me see if there's some others. Yeah, don't take away all of all of them. Don't give them all away. All right, anybody else have what they think a legacy is? I may come back to you. Hold on. Yeah, Tom. Living a positive image of yourself with your friends and family. Living a positive image of yourself with friends and family, right? Putting your best foot forward. Yes. yes. Beautiful. Yes. The impact you make on others' lives. The impact you make on others' lives. Beautiful. Well said. Yes, Jerry. Memories you created. Memories you created. Great. Anybody else? All right, great. We're on the right track. All right, Betty? A legacy is all the things in your past life that you want people to remember in their present life. All the things in your past life that you want people to remember in their present life. Beautiful. Well said. Okay. So let's talk about these types of legacies. And you guys named, I think, pretty much all of them. But let's kind of, let's, let's work through this. And this, there's some blanks on your handout. And you can write these down. There's five of them. And we're going to kind of just talk through these five, and then we're going to talk about some myths and truths, right? So we're all about the truth here. And we're going to talk about some myths and truths related to the various types of legacies. And, you know, I'm going to just digress slightly while, before I bring these up. When Naomi was making her calls and reminding people about the event or inviting them, and Danielle made some of them, and, her, and Naomi made some of them, and... And we had, I think our total count today was like 77 people. And the last few months we've had 125 or so registered. And Danielle and Naomi were both like, uh, uh, what, what's happening? Not as many people are coming, you know, because salespeople are all about numbers, right? More and more and more, right? And I'm like, it's okay. And they're like, maybe it's the topic. And I said, well, of course it's the topic. <laughs> Nobody wants to talk about this. but. You guys showed up, right? You guys showed up. Now here's what I've found, is that people will tell us, I don't need to talk about legacy because I already have my will done. I don't need to talk about legacy because I don't have any kids. And they'll tell us reasons that they don't need to talk about legacy, and I'm always amazed at that, right? So let's talk about the five different types of legacy that people might, might leave. The first one is their family legacy. Right now, I bring up people without children because they often say, "Well, what? I, I don't really have children to leave a legacy to." And I'm like, "Wait a minute, is family just having children?" No. No. This is family, right? I feel like you all are all family. Everybody I come into contact with in my work life, in my personal life, in my biological family, and my extended families. I have lots of steps, you know, step this and step that. And those are family. I have bonus moms and bonus dads. Somebody the other day referred to being a step-parent as being an aftermarket child. They have an aftermarket child. <laughs> That's beautiful. Right? 
We all have young people in our lives, and we all have people in our lives that we influence, yes? So family isn't just about offspring. Now, offspring are often the topic of this conversation, and I can tell you that the legacy that my grandparents left to me is very different than the legacy they left to their children. Right? My grandparents left me a very different legacy than my uncle would say my grandpa left to him. Right? Different. So your family legacy isn't one legacy, is it? It's multiple legacies for multiple different people in different relationships in your life that you've affected in different phases of their life even. Right? Because some of you may not know your grandkids that well. And some of you may be really close to your grandkids, but I can assure you whether you know them closely or not or you spend twice a year with them or twice a week with them, you're leaving a legacy. The other one is professional legacy. Some of you uh, have been and still are highly successful in your field. And I think about Dr. Ladd. I actually have a slide of him. I've talked about him in the past. Um, you know, I'm sure his legacy was very different uh, for his daughter and uh, other people than it was for me and even for the students that he taught in person. Dr. Ladd is a resident out at Spanish Cove. Uh, we helped them move from their independent living apartment they've been in 20 some odd years into an assisted living apartment and then in, from an independent uh, assisted apartment into, uh, into the long-term care area where they are now. And they're thriving there. They're doing great. I mean, amazing. In their 90s, he and his wife. And Dr. Ladd and I got to talking during our first move, and he said, what's your story, Nikki? I'm there packing boxes, and I'm sweaty and nasty. And he says, what? What brought you here to do this? And I thought, oh, Lord only knows, because I don't know. Because <laughs> it was a big move. And we got to chat, and I said, well, do you really want to know the story, or do you just want the, you know, cliff notes? And he said, no, I want to know the story. And I had time. I won't share the whole story here with you today, because you don't have time. But I told him what happened, and I said, it started when I went back to college to get my degree at SNU, and the only degree program that would fit my schedule as a full-time employee and a, and a mom was the evening accelerated adult studies classes. And the only one that I was even interested in was called Family Studies and Gerontology. I didn't know what gerontology was. And I was barely 24, 25 years old. I was busy, and I thought, okay, that fits my schedule. Done. I'm doing that. And I fell in love with the curriculum and the topic and the people and the teachers and the program. And then I left there and went and got my master's at SMU in counseling in that same type of adult studies program. Okay, so I tell him this and while, while I'm talking, he's getting this little kind of grin. It's a weird, smirky grin that he was getting. And I'm like, I knew he had been a retired, he was a retired professor from SMU. I knew that, but that's all I knew. And he said, so would it be interesting for you to know that I was on the committee that created that program at SNU for family studies and gerontology, the very first one. And I think I was in group 13 or something like that. And I said, you're kidding. And he said, no. He said, it was hard to put that together. He said, they didn't want to do it. He said, you know, it was hard to get accredited for it. You know, it was still new at the time, these kinds of programs. And, 
And he said, it, it was a long journey to get that approved. And I got goosebumps, just like I'm getting now. And I said, oh, my God, if it wouldn't have been for you, I wouldn't be where I am today. Is that weird? I'm here packing boxes because I'm a professional senior move manager who specializes in seniors because he created this program. Full circle. Legacy. Legacy. Now, how many of you are educators? Raise your hand. Retired educators in the room, raise your hand. Yeah, at any level, see? You have no idea. That was just a weird coincidence that he and I were standing there that day putting those things together. How many people, not even because you taught them, he never taught a class that I was in, but how many people have you affected and the trail of people behind them that you've affected because of one project you worked on? Because it, maybe it was just part of your job, even. Does that make sense? Legacy, professional legacy. And I'll tell you, we had a great conversation after that, and he became even more endearing to me uh, after that conversation because I thought, I could be like him. Right? And that what we're all looking for is somebody that we can model. Yeah, in his mid-90s, still writing papers and publishing books and you know, he's physically struggling. He's got issues to deal with for sure, but man, he's still leaving he's still leaving legacies. Alright, so then we've got uh, our financial legacies. Some of you have accumulated amount of wealth that you can't spend in your lifetime. Amen. So where does that money go when you're gone? Some of you will leave it as part of your family legacy. Some of you may leave it as a part of your professional legacy, and some of you may not have a clue what you're going to do with all of it. You may not even know how much you have. If you're not sure what to do with it, call me. <laughs> I'll put you in touch with a financial advisor. There are foundations out there. There are not-for-profits out there. There are so many places that could benefit from the wealth that we have that will no longer serve us after we're gone, right? So you may have a financial legacy, spiritual legacy. Um, some of you have passed along your faith to those people in your life, whether it be your family or whether it be others or whether it be through a ministry of um, addiction or abuse or some sort of health care or mental health legacy that is a spiritual mission, right? A lot of people, that's their legacy. And then, of course, uh, as I mentioned, your personal legacy. What is your personal legacy? Well, hopefully, it's when we take our dying breath, we think to ourselves, I have been a good and faithful servant. And I'm good. Right? I did everything I could do. I did the best I could. I feel good about that. And I think about that as being the no regrets legacy. Right? I got everything in order, I did everything I could, I made amends on those that I needed to make amends with, and I am whole. Right? So let's talk about the myths that go along with legacy. And these might apply to various different uh, of the five legacies, but these are also in your handout. I've typed these out for you, some version of it. The first myth that I hear regularly, and by the way, I, if people tell you weird things when you're selling their house, like you get to know them. And when you're moving them, even more so, right? Because you're touching their pictures and their scrapbooks and their personal things. And, and they tell you stories. And you get to know them a little bit. 
And I've had people say to me, you know, I don't, I don't really have a legacy to leave. And that, that makes me a little bit sad because that, when someone says that, that means that they feel insignificant. And I know better because I usually have gotten another person by that point that they're not insignificant, that they've done amazing things, but they just don't notice it or they don't feel it or they don't, they don't think about it the way that we think about it, right? So the truth is everyone leaves a legacy. For some of us, we will have no idea what our legacy is until many, many generations down the road. And um, if you're a believer in heaven, you're looking down from heaven and you go, huh, who knew? Right? But you left a legacy whether you know it or not. It may be positive, it may be negative, I don't know. <laughs> I have a few people I've worked for in my life that uh, I hope they look down and go, huh, darn, should have done that differently. You know, but I'm not sure they will. Not my problem. Myth number two, how others remember me isn't important. I've heard that too. I've heard people who have uh, families that they're in turmoil with, they've got estranged uh, children or relatives, um, and they're, they think you know, it's not important. And what I've found is that the closer we get to the end of life, the more that kind of stuff matters, right? You guys ever notice that? Uh, when I was doing counseling, they have a type of therapy called reminiscence therapy. You've heard of it? And it's where you sit with a person and you reminisce. And you talk about their life and you talk about their relationships. And you don't, you're not trying to fix anything. As a therapist, it's not a fix-it kind of therapy. It's a personal insight kind of therapy. They're, they're gaining insight as they reminisce. And this is done a lot with people who are in early stages of dementia, who can't really, you can't really do cognitive behavioral therapy with them. But you can do reminiscence therapy with them and they get a lot of benefit from that. And so what happens is as people get towards the end of their life and they know that that time is coming, and my uncle's a great example of this. Uh, I sat with him yesterday for several hours and we just chatted and we had, we had a great existential conversation um, that we've, we've never had before. I mean, I kind of always thought I knew how he believed about things and um, but I wasn't sure, and I just kind of threw a question out there, and it went, it went for an hour. We talked about this stuff, and I thought, wow. He actually started talking about how he hopes that he modeled for his kids and people that he knew how to be a kind person and how to treat people well. And he started asking, you know, I don't know if I did or not. I don't know if I taught people that. I don't know if I demonstrated that. I'm like, oh my gosh, yes. Like, to your own detriment sometimes, right? Because he's such a nice guy. And uh, he's not perfect by any means, but generally speaking, has tried to live a good life. And so we would have never had this conversation had he not been diagnosed and closer to the end stage of life. You guys understand the benefit and the beauty in that? And so the myth is that you can go through life and it doesn't really matter what people think about me, but I can promise you that um, at some point it may matter. Probably will. The other myth I hear a lot, a lot, a lot, and Jake does too, the move management team does too, is that my belongings are my legacy. Now they don't say it that way, 
How many of you have that china right there in your house? Yeah? Okay. They look at this china hutch, they look at the crystal, they look at the silver, they look at the stuff, and they go, I've saved this for my granddaughter. You've been to my seminars. <laughs> she doesn't want it. That's right. And so is that really your legacy? Is it really your legacy? Now, here, this, this might be part of the legacy. It's not the dishes. It's not the actual physical dishes. What is it? The memories you have of those dishes that were maybe even passed down to you from other generations, but the dishes themselves are not the legacy. They're a placeholder for the stories that go with the legacy. The dishes could go to Goodwill, and the stories are still part of the legacy. But here's the problem. If you don't tell anybody about the stories, the dishes go to Goodwill, and there is no legacy connected to the dishes after you're gone. Does that make sense? Instead, they become a burden, and the person carries the dishes from house to house to house, or apartment to apartment to apartment, in my case, house to boat to apartment to boat to house to wherever you might be living at the time to storage and you're going I know I should keep these but I'm not really sure why does that make sense now I'm going to add to that one it's not just your personal like what's in your house I've even had people say my house is my legacy they leave their house to their child who lives in Germany, who's going to now have to come back to sell the house because the house in their mind is not the legacy, right? It's the living room that they grew up in and had holiday parties, and that's the memory, but it's not the actual physical structure, right? Okay, so here's the, the other one that I hear a lot, a lot, a lot, is that I don't have a legacy or money is the legacy that people leave and I don't have a lot of money. Or maybe they have a little bit of money and it isn't enough in their mind. Well, let me just tell you, I've met with lots of people, millionaires and people who have maybe $200 left after it's all said and done. And it doesn't matter how much you have in your mind, it's never enough. Won't be never, will never be enough to satisfy you if you think that money is your legacy. How much is enough? Is leaving your kids $500,000 enough to be a good legacy? Is $100,000 enough to be a good legacy? Is $2,500 enough to be a good legacy? What's the number? You can't put a number on it because there is no right number. Now, can money help people? Yes, absolutely. It can be a, a beautiful gift to leave somebody. Um, maybe they use it to buy a house, or maybe they use it to start a business, or maybe they pay off their school loans. I don't know. Money can be a great piece of your legacy, but here's the problem with money as a legacy. Are you ready? Strings attached. How many people use money as the carrot and when the person is gone and they get the money, the money is actually resented 
because the person attached these rules to this money. It depends on who you are. Some people can get past that. I've had people say, yeah, my dad left me this money and this is what I was supposed to do with it, but I'm not going to. And they're fine with that, or at least they seem fine with that. I don't know. Maybe they're not existentially. Maybe, maybe they've got a little cognitive dissonance going on up there. I don't know. But how many people? My dad, uh, when my aunt passed away, she left a little bit of money to my dad and my uncle, uh, split it between the two of them. It wasn't a lot, but it was a nice gift, like I said. And, um, before she passed away, she mentioned to me, I was visiting her one day, and she said, well, I'm going to leave your dad that money, and he damn sure better not use it to start that liquor store. Because <laughs> she read that he was going to open a liquor store. Now, now, just mind you, my dad doesn't drink. He's never drank. But he lives in a small town, and those of you who have heard me tell this story, he wanted to start a liquor store because there wasn't one, and he knew it would be a good business opportunity. And I think it's crazy, but he did it. But my Aunt Sylvia was adamantly opposed, and she basically told him, if you're going to start a liquor store, I'm not leaving you that money. He goes, okay. Well, she left it. Because she was at that point in her life, she was in her mid-90s, she didn't really have the energy to go change her will. She left him the money. He started a liquor store. <laughs> so if you're going to leave money as, a, as an inheritance, you probably should meet with Jennifer <laughs> to make sure that if you want it to be used in a certain way, that you have that legally binding. Otherwise, you got my dad who's going to do what he damn well pleases. So, you know, good for him. Now, the people that I talk with regularly, not necessarily in business, but just people I know um, that have inherited a, a large sum of wealth, let's say lots and lots of money, more than they'll ever spend or know what to do with, are sometimes burdened by that. Uh, there's a thing uh, that they they have guilt, right? They have guilt from that money. And I think part of the reason for that is because either, number one, there were strings attached to the money. Um, maybe the money was ill-gotten gains. I don't know. You know, maybe they didn't feel like that person, maybe they didn't earn it, or maybe that money came from means that they didn't believe in, uh, or something like that. There's lots of reasons for that. But what I found is that when that happens, that person who received this presumably large gift is burdened by it. And it's usually because they don't, there's no story behind it. There's no attachment to the money in terms of, so for instance, if, you're, uh, if you work, if you came over as an immigrant and you started your own business and you lived in a tiny little apartment for years and years and years and you struggled and you ate, you know, sardines out of a can and, and what do you, uh, pork and beans and uh, Vienna sausages is what we eat here in Oklahoma when you're poor, right? So if you did that and then now you've got this money and you're leaving it to your adult children or your grandkids or your nieces or your nephews, tell them why it was important that you saved it. Because they think you're a miser. But they had $2 million in all these years I've been wearing jeans that are too short? What the hell? They don't understand your mindset and what you gave up to have that money to leave them in the end. Does that make sense? And so I think that 
the story is as important as the money. Now, a lot of families do a really good job of this. They set up foundations, uh, they set up trusts, and they, they're very directive. Like, they're like, okay, here's what this money is for, and Junior, this is not your money. <laughs> it's my money. And when I'm gone, here's how I want that money used, and I want you to use it that way, or someone else to use it that way. That's, that's one way to do it, right? Because then that's not inheritance. That's you directing the legacy of how you want the money that you're leaving as your legacy to be used, whether it's education or uh, medical or whatever, right? Scholarships, that kind of thing. Okay? So money is probably the most misunderstood and difficult legacy to leave because you got to be clear about what the money is for and what the money means and so on. Or the person receiving it doesn't get it as a gift, they get it as a burden. So this myth uh, is very common. Again, all these are, everything I did or said will be part of my legacy. No, let's rethink that. The truth is people will remember you for different reasons, right? Uh, I remember my grandparents uh, and the things they did for me were uh, kind of like what I'm doing for my grandkids. We're much nicer to our grandkids than we were our kids. Can we agree on that? Yeah, so at your funeral, you do not want your kids to speak. You want your grandkids to speak at your funeral. I'm just saying. And so my grandkids will remember me differently than my kids will remember me. My nieces will remember me differently than my grandkids will remember me. And the things I say to them are different, right? I say different things to a 17-year-old. If I were to die tomorrow, and you lined up all of the kids in my family or my life and my friends and family and asked them to say, what is Nikki's legacy? What do you remember about her that was positive that you will carry with you? They will, every single one of them will have a different reason, right? Something different I hopefully said to them or about them and something different that I've done for them or to them, <laughs> right? And some of them will say, these are the positives and these are the negatives. And I hope that if somebody ever speaks on my behalf, they don't stand up in front of a group of people like this and shower them with the things that I did right. Because that's not me as a human being, right? I have faults and frailties and fears. And I think that our legacy is both of those things. And here's what happens is that we sometimes are not being transparent and vulnerable with our family and our kids and our friends. Um, I can tell you right now that if you call my dad or anybody in my family that are not my children and ask them what I do for a living, they will say, I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> And if you ask them, well, what degrees did she receive in her lifetime, they'll go, well, I know she got something at SNU back in 99, I think. And, and didn't she get something more recently? What was that? Right? Because those things are irrelevant to them, right? What I do for a living is irrelevant to my grandkids, my, my now not to my kids. My kids know what I do. But to most people, what we do for a living is pretty irrelevant, yeah? That's our professional legacy. But what we say and do with them in private and in our personal relationships, that matters. 
And we have gotten to the point where we're so spread out and we're so um, hurried that we are not having conversations with the people in our lives that matter. And what matters? What, what is it that matters? I'm going to talk about some action steps here in a minute, in a minute that do matter. Because the things that people, the reason that some of these funerals are so dismally sad is because they don't know the person that's being talked about. And in some cases, the person has outlived most of the people they know. Which means that their legacy has stopped because that story wasn't passed along. Uh, how many of you um, well, I wasn't going to bring this up, but I think I will bring it up. Um, how many of y'all knew uh, Beverly from Concordia? Tell me Beverly's last name, Kelly. Langley. Thank you, Langley. You escaped me. Beverly Langley that lived at Concordia. Yeah. Um, let me tell you, Beverly, we helped her move uh, out to Concordia a few years before she passed. And uh, how old was Beverly when she passed, Kelly? 91, I was thinking, or 92, yeah. And uh, let me tell you, she was she was a hot mess. I liked her a lot. Uh, she said what she thought. She was uh, she brought me in because we messed up a few things on her move. And um, Marilyn Olson and her got together, and she said, Marilyn told Beverly, Nikki wants to know how to improve. You need to have this conversation with her. And I really didn't want to have the conversation. <laughs> I really didn't, but I knew I needed to. So she called me in, and we sat around the table, the three of us, Marilyn and Beverly and I. And Beverly explained some of the things we did that weren't so great and what we could have done to do better. And um, I was grateful I had about two weeks to think about those things before the meeting because I knew they were coming. And I think now, I think, you know what, Legacy, uh, you know, she did a lot of painting before she passed. She, during COVID, she painted. And then they used those paintings and did some auctions and raised some money for Villages OKC and, uh, and for Concordia's Benevolent Fund and different things. And a lot of people will say her legacy was her painting. And then there are people who knew her really well say her legacy was how she lived through her death. Like she had cancer and she she like she lived all the way through her very last days. She stayed active. And there are just different people who will tell you that her legacy her legacy for me was that really hard conversation around that table that day. That I needed to hear. And nobody else was willing to have that conversation with me. There were other people that they could have, right? We're not perfect. But she was willing to sit down and say, you know what, Nikki, you promised this and this and this and this didn't happen. And I, I appreciated that. And I think when you think about why people remember you, a lot of times it's because you're willing to say the things that nobody else is willing to say. Right? The tough love conversations in many cases. Um, uh, let's talk about some action steps, and then I'm going to ask you guys to share some as well because I think you probably have some really good ideas uh, in addition to these. So in your handout, there are some action steps that I'm going to call um, purposeful legacy action steps because whether you do any of these or not, you're going to leave a legacy. I don't know what that's going to look like. I, everybody's different, but here are some things that you can do to be purposeful about your legacy and frankly there's some of these I'm contemplating myself and thinking okay now it's time to get started on these now the time to get started on these is not when you're sick or in the hospital 
or been diagnosed with a terminal illness or a progressive disease. The time to be starting on these is when we're healthy, right? And we can think them through. So the first one is a storytelling video. You know, my mom died when she was 31 years old of a heart attack. Um, she went to work that day and we went to school and the next thing I know I'm being picked up from school by a grandparents because she was in the hospital and I didn't see her again. She was in the hospital for two months before she died. Now, this was before cell phones like we have now. This is back in the early 80s. And so I would give anything, anything to have a video of her. Just a 30-second something, right? How many of us have a cell phone right now in our purse, in our bag, in our pocket, that we could push record on and record a one-minute video every so often when we think of something we want our grandkids to know or remember. And literally, that's the place. They pick up your phone. They got to have your password, by the way. That's going to be important. I'll talk about that in a minute. And they go, oh my gosh, look at all these videos that Grandma left. <gasps> She's saying she wants me to watch. These are for me. Now that's one way to go about it, or you could actually have those videos made into an actual video, like a presentation, if you wanted to go the next mile. But the stories, I'm not just talking about any story, I'm talking about any story you think is important to your legacy, right? Any story you think is important to your legacy. Frankly, I would like to tell my grandkids a bunch of stories because I know their parents aren't going to tell them these stories because their parents are not in agreement on these stories. So how do you get past your kids not being the parents you want them to be? You do it yourself. Right? Now, don't, I'm not the only one that has kids that you wish would tell your grandkids things, right? I'm not the only one, right? Maybe I am. Okay, good. All right. Digitize your family photos. Here's another one. So we do our Downsizers Club, and one of the biggest challenges our Downsizers Club members, where are our Downsizers Club members? I don't see signs today. Karen's in there. Phrases you guys were in there. Yeah, so doing your Downsizers Club stuff, doing your digitizing your photos. That's, nowadays, what does that cost, Chris? About a quarter of a photo, or is it less now, more now, dollar? Yeah, so it's expensive to do, in my opinion. But the other way that you can do it is you can take pictures of them with your phone, and you can, and then you can, uh, bless you. Or you can take them and you can write notes on the back of the picture. You don't even have to digitize them. But the important thing is to talk about those photos so that you know what they actually are. So, uh, interesting story, I was uh, preparing for this talk earlier in the week, I sent my aunt and uncles uh, on my mom's side, both of them, uh, a text message and said, hey, do you happen to have a picture of Papa Clinton's farmhouse anywhere and uh, that I could have? You just shoot a picture of it for me and send it to me in a text. And my youngest uncle texted back and he said, I his text message said, I don't have any pictures. I don't know where they are. I wish I could find some. And I thought, oh, Lordy, I opened a can of worms. Because the older uncle has all those pictures. Oops. So here's the deal. There are lots and lots of photos in my family on my mom's side, and they are being held captive by one relative, right? Not because he's holding them captive on purpose, but because he was willing to store those suckers, right? But now to get them, what do you got to do? You got to go to his house. 
So what if you don't get along with that other family member? And you, now the reason that my younger uncle is frustrated, I would say, with this situation is because he has some pretty significant health issues. And he's got new grandbabies and, and new in-laws and his family, his kids are marrying and they're at that age. And he wants to share his family legacy and he doesn't have pictures. Interesting, right? It wouldn't be a thing if he wasn't ill. But the closer you get to worrying about your life ending, the more important some of those things become. Write in a journal. Uh, my mom wrote in a journal. Uh, I was so excited when I started reading it until I started reading it. And I realized that it was a journal, but it was really more about her day to day. You know, did this, did that, went to school, talked to this person, talked to that person. I thought, well, heck, I don't care about any of that. I want to know, did you smoke pot when you were a kid? I'm looking to find out who was the first person she had sex with. And, you know, did she, you know, she went to church, but did she really believe in God? I mean, I'm, you know, I'm asking hard questions because I was 11 when she passed away. And her journal was like, oh, crud. This is just her day to day. Oh, this is something about Dakota Cagle. Maybe this is going to get juicy. Nope. Not juicy at all. Alright? Hold that thought, Richard. Alright. Extend grace and forgiveness. Please go back and forgive people you need to forgive. Be purposeful in your giving. We talked about that a little bit. Where's it going to go? Who's it going to go to? Why? Why is it important that so-and-so so get this? My dad is very clear about one thing he owns, and that's his guns. His guns go to my son, his grandson. That's it. That's it. And I'm like, why? Why is that important? Well, this gun was Grandpa so-and-so's, and this gun was so-and-so, and I got this gun when this happened. And I'm like, does Caleb know that? Well, I don't know. Well, then they're just guns. Does that make sense? He needs to know why you're giving them to him and why they're important. Explain money as an inheritance. We talked about that already. And then these three, document things which reflect your intended legacy. Same way with the guns. Document those things. The last two, I'm going to say, I think, for our purposes today, are the ones I would say are most important. And one is to get your personal affairs in order before you can't do it. And for many of you, I know I've talked to some that said, you know, I have my will and I have my directives and I have a trust and all that. But I guess my question is, is that everything? Do you have your funeral plan in order? Do you know who you want to have be your pallbearers? Do you know what your legacy is? Do you have things marked for who gets what and why? Um, does your kids or whomever your trusted person is have your passwords? Do they know what to do with your pets? These are the things that a lot of people leave out. Uh, I'm going to talk in a minute about the gift, the villagers group back here. They do the workshop I've talked about many times. And it's the binder, the gift binder, gathering information for transitions. And the reason Marilyn uh, Olson created that back in the day was for her own relatives. She it organically became a thing she did as a caregiver because she needed everything to be all in one place, right? And the problem with that is that a lot of us have all that stuff, but it's scattered all over here, there, and yonder. And if somebody needed to go find it, they wouldn't have a freaking clue. 
Matter of fact, we spent the better part of uh, I spent the better part of Tuesday afternoon trying to find my uncle Donnie's Facebook password because he'd been hacked and he wanted only one Facebook thing and he had six friends from high school he wanted to reconnect with and and he had four passwords written in a notebook and none of them were the right ones. I figured it out though. Yeah. By the way, if you know somebody's birth year, you can figure almost anything out. That's a terrible password, by the way. Terrible. But get your personal affairs in order. And if you haven't done the gift, and you're looking for a group, a small group to do this with, because it's hard to do by yourself, that is the single best gift you could give your kids, your family, yourself for Christmas this year, is the gift workshop, I'm telling you. And I'm not here to sell anything, and I just believe in that. Demonstrate aging in a positive and constructive way for younger generations. What do I mean by that? What we do and how we model our lives demonstrates how other people might be able to live their lives, right? Um, are we accepting of others? Are we accepting of ourselves? Are we open to... Uh, you know what's funny? The other day, I, again, go back to Michael Donnie. He's laying there in bed, and now that the cancer has spread into his bones and his hip area mainly, um, he can't walk. So he's in bed 24-7. And that is the number one thing that is bothering him is that he can't get up. And he's a goer. He's, he's a doer. He's a goer. And I thought to myself, after I left his house, I was really pretty tired, just kind of emotionally spent. And I had all my yoga pants and my tennis shoes and my t-shirt, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to go home and just lay down for a few minutes. And then I thought, are you kidding me, Nikki? He would give anything to be able to go for a walk. And so I got my butt in the car, and I went to Hefner, and I walked for 45 minutes. Because I can. Because my legs work. His don't. He'd give anything to be able to go for a walk. Does that make sense? And how many of us... Go home and sit in front of the TV and go, well, I've got some arthritis. Well, my blood pressure's a little off today. But instead of going out for a walk, we go and we have some ice cream. Right? Or we whine, bitch, and groan about it. And I'm not talking about just you. I'm talking about all of us. This isn't about you. This is about all of us. And this is not about age. I hear Jake do it all the time. <laughs> right? We have got to demonstrate how being 75 can look. We've got to demonstrate how 85 can look. we got to demonstrate how 100 can look. And if there's enough people demonstrating that in a constructive way, guess what? More young people will not look at people and go, I don't want to what? Get old. Because they're seeing people who have gotten old, but it's not a bad thing right? It's actually something that they can write down on the left side as the positive legacy. So last slide and then I'll open it up for other suggestions. It's not what we leave for others that matters. It's what we leave in them that matters most. And believe it or not, that came right out of a Huffington Post article um, that I read uh, as an excerpt. All right, Mr. Ross, you had your hand up. You were going to comment. That time has passed. Okay. 
I, I'm just going to tell you, every time I leave this thing, uh, Mr. Ross sends me a note or comes and tells me as a reminder that when I write my book that I'm writing, when I write my book that I need to make sure everybody has a audio version of it so that they can sit around and listen to it together. So will you promise me if I do that, you'll listen to it? Right? Okay. But here's the legacy he's leaving. And I, he may know this. It may be intentional or not. But I promise you that every single time I sit down at my desk and I see my book stuff, I think of him. <laughs> right? Because he is holding me accountable to what I said I was going to do. Right? And so that's a legacy that we're leaving. Yeah. Jerry, you had your hand up. Identify the people in your pictures because I've been going through some pictures and I go, oh, I wish I knew who that was. Yeah. Yeah. The pictures. Who was that? On the back of the picture. Who was it? What year was it? If possible. Yeah. I just want to say also on pictures, the names on the front rather than on the back because sometimes they put get the photo album and the history go through and they don't take the time to take the picture out. Yeah, that's true. So if you're putting them in a book or you're sticking them to a scrapbook, you might want to get some uh, the the writable pins that you can write on the front of pictures that you can buy those at Hobby Lobby or at Michael's, yeah, for sure. Uh, okay, who else? Ideas for legacy. What are you doing that you know is part of your legacy or what, what things have you seen out there that you think would be good to do for legacy? We'll take a few if you have them and if not, we'll finish up. Yes, sir. Maybe everyone has done this, but since we're in the digital age, we've sent so many emails well, there's an email, it's personal about me, not just what I did today, but influences and so forth. I print out a copy, and so it's, a, it's an easy way to make a journal. Yeah, nice. So if you get emails and there's something in there that's personal and meaningful, print it out and put it someplace where it's hard copy because they may not find that in an email for sure. I have a little, I have a little thing that goes in my credenza that I, when I get thank you notes from people, uh, I stick them right in there. I mean, I, I read them and I show them for a little while and then they go and I don't throw them away because those to me are a part of reminding me, but also my kids at some point may look at those and go, ma'am, mom must have been really good at what she did. <laughs> yeah. Right. But we also need to know that children can leave a legacy also. <clears throat> Amen. Yeah. And it's important for us to teach them how to act better to leave that legacy. Yeah. So if we were to start talking about legacy with younger people much sooner, right? Yes. And what you do does matter. And what you now there's a difference. As she, she mentioned, it's important that young people know about legacy. Now here's the difference. And I know you're not talking about this side. But you're talking about the good way. Here's the way that I often hear parents talk about legacy. What will people think? How dare you date that person? What will people think? Well, what people think about you is not your legacy. That's a different issue, right? And so instead saying, is this the kind of friendship you want to be in and be remembered for going forward? And by the way, if the answer is yes, then that's their legacy to leave. It's none of your daggum business. Now, my dad will tell you that's not true, but I left when I was 18 because my dad did not approve of me dating certain people. And I basically said, hmm, I don't have to live here anymore, do I? I'm leaving. So I did. Now, my dad are, and I are on the same page now, but there were many years there where it was the what will people think syndrome. And now I look back and I go, you know what people thought is that people thought I was actually a pretty nice person because I was okay with these relationships versus not okay with them. That makes sense to you. Everybody's different. Yes, ma'am. I write poetry. Yeah. 
Sure. That's right. Yeah. And anytime I'm reading some of those things to my children, it's like, oh my gosh, mother, and I won't go on. Sure. And so at some point, I put those into books, which they have received, like at Christmas, and it's like, oh, dang. You know, what's mother giving us again? Because it's right. a mother that they really don't want to yeah. know because it's a little bit too, way too close in emotions for them to explore. But someday they will understand. So I just repeat. They, they, they can't get rid of me unless they don't. Yeah, the book. So she does poetry. She says she does poetry, and some of it's very uh, personal, right? Is it is it racy? Um, oh, come on. I did it, yes. I did it. Okay. Okay, so a little racy with the husband. Okay, good. All right, so here's the thing. If you do poetry or you've written things and you journal things that are very personal, she said she put hers into books, and then she gives them to her kids at Christmas, and they're mortified uh, about it, but they're going to have those books, and at some point they won't be mortified. But here's what I think is interesting about that is, you know, people don't think that people have sex after age 70 or something. I don't know where that came from, but um, some of the most... Um, uh, Popular and well-read books are written uh, novels uh, that are pretty racy are written by women over the age of 70 and What's interesting about that is young people go ooh, And it happened to me recently. We were talking about our to our kids about kind of love life stuff and my son's like, oh I'm like, I am only 51 freaking years old. Do you really think that we don't like he's like, I don't want to hear it <laughs> It's not about age. It's about what? Our parents. We can't imagine our parents. I'm like, how do you think you were conceived? <laughs> I mean, really? I said, we had a waterbed. He's like, oh, I don't want to hear that. I mean, you know, it's just hilarious. I try to get, now I just do it to poke the bear. It's hilarious. Okay. Anybody else? We'll take another one. Yes. How do you talk about yourself without feeling like you're bragging? Oh, gosh. What a great question. He said, how do you talk about yourself without feeling like you're bragging? I'm going to say, if you're, if you're prone to bragging, it's going to sound like bragging. But if you're not prone to bragging and you're humble, it's going to sound like you sound. Does that make sense? Or you could preface it with, gosh, I'm worried about writing this because it's going to sound like I'm bragging. But that's not how I intend it to sound. And then you write it. Right? So what that tells me is that you struggled with that. You grappled with it. And if I'm reading it and I'm the person that's, you know, in relationship with you and I go, oh my gosh, I can't believe you wrote. I'm so glad he wrote this. I had no idea. Uh, we did an exercise years ago. I went to this class. It's called Psy Basic, and it's a it's personal development program. And you had to sit in a group, it was a room of about hundred total people all strangers, I didn't know any of them, and they put you in groups of six or seven. And you sat in a circle uh, with chairs only, with notepads and pens, and each person had, I think it was one minute that you had to fill. And each person that timed you. And while you were sharing, the other people were making notes. And what you had to share for that entire time was everything you can think of that you are proud of. Okay? And you just had to say as many things as you could think of that you were proud of until the time was up. 
And while you were sharing that, the other six people, or however many, were supposed to be writing down adjectives to describe you. Okay, follow me so far? All right, so here I am, I'm doing this thing, I'm telling them all the things I'm proud of, and they're writing things down, and then at the end, when everybody's done, they are then to read to you the adjectives that they use to describe you, or give them to you, I can't remember which. And the adjectives that they used to describe me, now this was what, 15 years or so ago maybe, were things like sensitive, kind, sweet, humble. And I'm like, who in the heck are they talking about? Because I, at the time, I was brash and obnoxious and assertive and strong and capable. Now, those, some of those words were on there, too. But then they told us, circle the three words that they wrote down that you disagree with most. The three that you disagree with most. So I circled. I'm pretty sure one of them was sensitive. Um, one of them was probably humble. And then third, I don't remember. And here's the, here was our instructions. You know what we had to do for the rest of the three-day weekend? We had to live into those descriptions, the three. <laughs> I don't want to do that. I don't want to be those three. And she's like, you already are. And what you're doing is you're denying that you're those three instead of being those three. And you're those other ones too. Those are okay too. But we don't care about those. You're already doing those. Do the three. So here's the thing, guys. I had to get up in front of that 100 people. I didn't have to. I, I self-selected. Stood up and read something that I had written. I forget what exercise we had done. And I cried while I read it. And the, the lady leading the thing goes, Sensitive. Good job. I was like, oh, Jimmy cries. <laughs> but how many of us, right, have a side to us that people haven't seen? But the things that we're proud of, when we have to write those down, guys, guess what? That tells people that there are things that we're proud of that they may have zero idea. Zero idea that we worked our entire lives on accomplishing or doing. And by the way, that might also help inform them of any money legacy that is left to them. Does that make sense? If you're proud of your work or you're proud of your publishing or you're proud of whatever it is you created, then they need to know that. Yeah. All right, last one. Who has their hand up over here? Yes, ma'am. Um, write your own obituary, eulogy. Please, I have a sketch of it. I recently had to write something for my mother Nobody else wanted to do it, and I knew they'd criticize whatever I did. Yeah. It would have been easier to have a sketch there, and I could say, that's what Mom wanted. Yes, believe it or not, that is one of the most arduous things to do, is write an obituary for somebody else, right? And so write your own obituary, at least a sketch of it, and those things that you want to be remembered for. Michael Donnie and I are having that talk now. Because I said, I want to know what you want people in the room who will come who will remember he goes, I don't know if very many people will come. And we're going, are you kidding? Like there's a lot of people that really, you know, he's been out of work for a while, he's been retired, but so to write in his obituary ahead of time, he's really struggling with that because he's sick, you get it? If you write it while you're healthy, 
It's a whole lot easier to do than writing when you're sick. Good. All right, give yourselves a hand. You did a great job. All right, last little bit of housekeeping, then I'll get you out of here. Um, the gift. I mentioned it several times today. I cannot emphasize enough that if you're going to buy a Christmas gift or a holiday gift for someone in your life, just walk right back to that table where Dana and her team is from Villages right here on the corner and say, I want to give the gift of the gift this year and get signed up for that. Um, when's the next classes starting? Are they already starting? Uh, we're in one right now yep. and we have one in February. Okay, so starting after the first of the year. So you don't have to commit to holiday season. You can commit to after the first year, but get on their roster. The other thing I would encourage you to do is talk to Jennifer Wright. Uh, she's our, uh, our attorney education partner. And talk to her about your financial stuff if you need to. Your I'm sorry, your legal stuff if you need to. And then uh, Curtis and Yasser back there with Arvest, if you have a, uh, if you're wanting to kind of look at your financial future and how you can direct that, they can help you with that as well, okay? So um, to Mr. Ross's request, please know that every single one of you that have a smartphone have access to what's called a podcast, okay? You may not know it, but you have the ability to access what's called a podcast. Podcasts like listening to a recorded radio program. If you haven't done it before, it's very easy. Any of us can show you how. We have a uh, podcast station that literally has the recordings of these on it, the audio recordings. So you take your phone, you put an earphone in, or you listen to it on a speaker, and you can listen to recorded versions of these on your phone. Uh, last thing, these three things are coming up. Next uh, month, December 6th, at the Northwest Library. Did you guys remember the seminar we did on uh, dementia a while back? And it was so good, oh my gosh. And uh, Herb Magley was here, and Carla uh, with Concordia back here was with us. And they, after that, had been asked to do another program for those people who really want to be able to stay in relationship with someone that's been diagnosed with dementia. I, I have a friend right now, his wife has dementia. She's really uh, further along in the process. And I don't know really how to deal with that. I don't know how to support them. I don't know how to be a good friend to them. And that's what that seminar is gonna be about. It's about how to be a friend to people that you find out, oh my gosh, their spouse or they themselves have been diagnosed with dementia. The next one that we're going to do here next month is the truth about living to 100. Now, I get this a lot. Naomi hears it every time. Oh, I've heard that one before. Have you guys heard this one before? Because I've never done this one before. I've done the same exact title before, but every single time we do these, it's different because things change, right? Um, and so that one that's coming up in December, we're going to talk about people who are living to 100 and what that life looks like. For those of you who don't want to live to be 100, you should probably come because chances are you're the ones who will. Just saying. Um, and then the last thing is we have a group called the Downsizers Club, and people have asked me, Nikki, what is that about? 
And so we decided uh, to do a little short, after next month's meeting here, a little short informational meeting. All I'm gonna do is tell you what the Downsiders Club's about, um, who it's for, what we do, what the next year looks like for people who are thinking about downsizing. Um, and so you can come to that informational meeting. What we're gonna do is we'll do the seminar next month, we'll take a break, people who want to leave can leave <clears throat> and then we'll gather right back here for those that want to stay it won't be a lot of people whoever wants to stay you can stay and we'll talk about the downsizers club okay all right did you guys get something of value today yes all right do me a favor fill out your evaluation you have an evaluation you can sign up for those seminars uh, on the evaluation if you want to and um, there's also a question on here about uh, two questions. Let me bring these to your attention. I forgot. One of them is, how would you describe today's presenter, Nikki Buckaloo? Okay, I'm not looking for praise necessarily. That's not my goal in this. What I'm doing is I am creating my own speaker profile online so that people can hire me to speak in other places. Okay, what I need from you guys is, why should they do that? I need to know what you think about my speaking style. Be honest, be forthright. You know, if, she's, if it, she uses too many cuss words, write that on there. I don't care. But whatever it is you write, I'm going to look at that and be able to use it in my marketing. Okay? So if it's positive, great. If it's not positive, it's good feedback for me. Okay? And then the last one on here, what topics would you like to see offered in 2023? We already kind of have our schedule for the, the main topics. But we are looking for additional topics to offer at the library. And the Villages is also putting together their um, academy that they're looking for topics. And so what that is, is if there's a topic we haven't presented or you want us to redo again, write it down in that space. And we'll make sure that that is offered sometime throughout the year next year. Um, uh, Tommy asked me earlier, he said, Nikki, are we going to the crossings next year? The answer is yes. We have been approved to do our seminars instead of at Quail Creek once a month. We'll be at Crossings on North Portland in the atrium. It is a big event space with high ceilings. The sound is really good. There's a stage. It's where they do their overflow services uh, for overflow from the sanctuary. And so we'll be doing that. We'll get you information. We'll still be back here in December. Where are we going to be in December? Here. 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 And then starting in January, we'll do uh, Crossings and Northwest Library. And I think we're going to like that video. I think it's going to be really nice. It'll allow us to grow. The lighting is really good. It's got good energy. Uh, the parking is good. And the door goes right in to where that venue is. You don't have to meander through the building. Because I've been there for support groups. And you have to meander to find the room. This is not like that. This is going to be really easy to find. And we'll give you directions and everybody will be able to get there. All right. We done? I had a wonderful, happy Thanksgiving. Uh, what about